Joe always feels uh, he's not really welcome, that he's an outsider, that he's excluded. Uh, Joe felt that way at school. He wasn't coordinated enough to be sporty, not smart enough to be a nerd, uh, so he found it hard to make friends and often was teased and picked on at school. Uh, Things didn't change much as he left school and got a job. Uh, He got himself a job and he he did what he needed, but he, he paid the bills but he never quite fit in with the rest of the staff team. And once again, he was the butt of jokes there too. A couple of times, Joe thought he'd try out the God thing. Whilst he was at school, he went to a church youth group. But the kids that didn't include him at school didn't include him there either. As an adult, he went to church a couple of times and he just felt just as isolated there. He didn't understand what was going on. Singing felt awkward. He didn't really dress like everyone else. And no one said much to him other than a a high and a wave. He felt like an outsider, an outcast. Uh, Lots of people feel this way. Uh, Many people feel this way about God. Uh, Maybe you feel this way, even though you're at church You don't feel like God actually accepts you, that he really loves or includes you. And maybe you feel that way about people at church too. Uh, To flip the tables, maybe you think that way about others. There are people who you don't think God should accept. There's not room for them in God's family. Or maybe you hope there's not because you don't want them here at church with you. Last week we saw how God's kingdom is bigger than the apostles expected. But eventually they realised that Jesus meant what he said. Jesus meant what he said when he said to go to the Samaritans and tell them, be witnesses to them of his resurrection, that he said that even Samaritans are welcomed into God's kingdom. Today we're continuing to see the borders of God's kingdom thrown wide open as someone who before Jesus was excluded and separated as he now on this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus is welcomed in. Uh, In Acts 8.25, Acts 8.25 was where we left things last week. Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, their home base, and as they did, we see that they're they're full on board with Jesus' program. They proclaim Christ in the villages of Samaria. So Peter and John, they return home, but once again our focus is on Philip. Philip is just an everyday Christian, an everyday believer. But God continues to use him. Last time, he ended up in Samaria because he was fleeing persecution with the other believers. They had to flee Jerusalem because Saul was out to get them. So they go north to Samaria. But his next job, God gives him a direct command. It's not fleeing persecution. It's a direct command. And this command leads him to meeting a complete outsider. Uh, Have a look in your Bible to Acts 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. 
this man had gone up to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. To the Jewish way of thinking, this man is an outsider in so many ways. First up, he's Ethiopian. Uh, The region it's referring to isn't the modern country of Ethiopia. It was a region, a a queendom, that was the southern part of modern-day Egypt and down into the Sudan. To the ancient Jewish mindset, Ethiopia is the ends of the earth. Uh, They weren't really aware of the rest of Africa below that part of the world. This man was from the deep south, from the far-off exotic country. Now, it could be he was ethnically Jewish, or at least had some Jewish ancestry. Historians know some Jews fled to Ethiopia during various wars and exiles. But since Luke calls him an Ethiopian, most likely he was ethnically Ethiopian. Uh, He would have had very dark skin. He would have looked very different from Romans, Judeans and Samaritans. Because of his ethnicity, he would have been an outsider. But what made him even more of an outsider is he was a eunuch. Uh, The word eunuch, uh, it's not a word we use very often these days, the word eunuch can refer to two different things, two different properties of a person, two different identity markers. It can be about your job. Uh, It can mean someone who is a high-ranking government official, a trusted public servant, Uh, It can also mean a man who doesn't have full sexual function. And in the ancient world, the two things often go together. Uh, I'll get to explaining why the two go together in a moment. Let's listen to Jesus. Jesus says something about eunuchs. It just helps us explain what's going on a little bit. In Matthew 19, Jesus said, For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Jesus here is using the word eunuch mainly in that second definition. He talks about three categories of eunuchs. Uh, There are those who are born eunuchs. Uh, These days we would use a more technical medical word to talk about this. Uh, Either a child born, a male child born with undescended testes or someone who is born intersex. Uh, Intersex refers to a range of circumstances where a child is born with genitals that are ambiguous. It's not clear whether the child is male or female. Uh, We use the word intersex in the ancient world. That's what Jesus is talking about, born this way as a eunuch. And that was the story for some of them. Others, Jesus says, were made eunuchs, castrated normally before puberty. Now, why would someone do this to a child? It's because of that first definition of the word. Eunuchs were trusted to work in the royal court. This was a way of assuring your child had a good job. Jesus also gives a third category, those who live like eunuchs for the kingdom of God. Literal eunuchs serve the kings and queens of the world. Jesus is talking about people who realise that he and the kingdom of God is more important than marriage or family, a person who sets aside sexual activity to live faithfully for Jesus. But back to our Ethiopian eunuch, he worked for the queen of Ethiopia. 
Uh, Ethiopia was a queendom. It wasn't a kingdom, it was a queendom, if you like. Uh, in the ancient world, eunuchs were given this, uh, given important roles because the, they had a reputation of being trustworthy and loyal. Kings would put eunuchs in charge of their harem because they weren't a threat sexually. Uh, they also had other important jobs in royal courts because they weren't a political threat. Why weren't they a political threat? Because they couldn't have children. If you had someone who was your high-up treasurer who also had their own child or children, they'd be always angling to get their kids promoted and maybe even they'd knife literally the king or queen in the back so that their child might make their way to the throne. But because eunuchs couldn't have children, they weren't a political threat. Their number one loyalty was to the king or queen. Uh, They weren't a threat and so they were prized people in the ancient world. Eunuchs were prized, uh, but they were also demonised. They were prized because they were trusted, but they were demonised because of their sexual and gender ambiguity. They were not welcomed in regular society. And this was very true in ancient Israel. Now, as we meet this eunuch, he's on his way home from Jerusalem. He's been up to Jerusalem to the temple to worship. Somehow, this Ethiopian has come to acknowledge, to worship the one true God. But his experience in Jerusalem would have been one of exclusion. As a Gentile, he wasn't allowed to sacrifice in the temple. And according to Deuteronomy 23, as a eunuch, he could never, never be part of the gathering of God's people. Deuteronomy 23 says, No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting of the testicles, so it's talking about a eunuch, none of, no eunuch may enter the assembly of the Lord. This man has been to Jerusalem. He wants to worship the God he's he's come to hear about, but he's been doubly excluded as a Gentile and as a eunuch. But this doesn't stop him from wanting to know God. Because what do we find out? He's been to Jerusalem. He hasn't been allowed to, to sacrifice. Maybe he's been able to give some sort of monetary gift at the temple. But as he's being driven home from Jerusalem, he's sitting in his chariot reading the prophet Isaiah, reading from the scroll of Isaiah. Back in those days, this would have been a very expensive purchase. And particularly Isaiah, like he hasn't gone and picked Obadiah, which would have just been a tiny little scroll. No, he's gone for Isaiah, one of the longest scrolls of the Jewish religion. He would have spent serious money to read God's word for himself, to know God for himself, this God that he was never allowed near. And so Philip is told by the Holy Spirit to get up close to this Ethiopian. And I used to have this picture, you know, because it's a chariot, that this, that, that Philip was given sort of supernatural marathon and sprinting skills together. But I, I think even though it's called a chariot, it would have been a leisurely place because it's a long journey from Jerusalem via Gaza, which is over on the Mediterranean, all the way down to Ethiopia. So he would have been going at a fairly steady pace. So Philip runs up, he comes near, he hears this bloke reading and asks a great question. Do you understand what it's saying? Verse 30. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? 
Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I love this eunuch. He would have been highly educated. I mean, he's literate. He's invested big money in a big scroll. He is literate. He's able to read. But he's also humble enough to ask for help. I'm sure we've all had the experience reading a bit of the Bible, wishing there was someone there to help us understand. Well, let's have a listen to what it is he's reading and and not quite understanding. Verse 32. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Uh, This is one of the key chapters of the Bible, Isaiah 53, one of the key chapters of the Old Testament for understanding Jesus. For us, uh, sitting here on this side of the cross and the empty tomb, and we've heard Jesus and the apostles teaching, they, they often refer to this chapter. For us, I think Isaiah 53, like Isaiah's got some stuff in it that's hard to understand, but Isaiah 53, we go, that's the simple chapter. In fact, there are kids' songs, aren't they? Ba, ba, do, ba, ba. We, they memorise Isaiah 53, 6 from a youngest age. We even used it as our Easter passage last, last Easter. But for that eunuch who hasn't heard about Jesus, this is a difficult chapter. And the hard part, as you read Isaiah 53, before you know Jesus, is working out who it's talking about. Verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Uh, The reason the eunuch isn't sure who it's talking about is because Isaiah says lots of things about a character called my servant, uh, the servant of the Lord. And some of the things it says, it sounds like the servant is a group of people, the faithful in Israel, the faithful remnant. Sometimes, though, it sounds like it's talking about just one person, just one individual. Maybe the individual is Isaiah himself. Maybe it's someone to else, someone yet to come. And the sentences the eunuch was reading, well, maybe it could be talking about either. Have a listen again, verse 32. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Now, it could be talking about the faithful in Israel, like as a a corporate person, Because in Isaiah's time, they were conquered by the Babylonians and in the centuries since they'd been oppressed and slaughtered and and, and their descendants, well, who could talk of them because they've been massacred so often by numerous empires? It could also be talking about Isaiah since he wasn't popular and he was rejected. I wonder whether also the eunuch thought about himself in these verses. He'd been to Jerusalem, but his voice was not heard because of his identity and status. He had been humiliated, and who could speak of his descendants? But Philip explains 
the prophet Isaiah is talking about Jesus. Jesus was slain like a lamb and yet in his death he didn't protest, he didn't fight, he didn't struggle, he he offered his life willingly. And why did Jesus do this? Why is Jesus like a lamb taken to the slaughter? Well, the sentences we read here in, in Luke, sorry, in Acts, that Luke records for us in Acts, don't say. But as Philip climbs into the chariot and takes his seat next to the eunuch and, and rolls out the scroll just a little bit further, we can imagine how he might have explained the good news of Jesus from that scroll. I want us to get a feel for this ourselves, so please uh, find in your Bible Isaiah 53, Isaiah's after the psalm. So if you go to the middle of your Bible and jump forward a little bit, you'll find Isaiah 53. So Isaiah 53, now you've got to remember, we call it Isaiah 53. There were no chapters and verse numbers back then. They were added to our Bibles in about in the Middle Ages. But I wonder, as Philip was sitting next to the Ethiopian eunuch, they might have gone back a little bit earlier in the chapter to what we call verse 4. He might have shown God's promise that his servant would die and that in his death the servant would carry the sin and sorrows, the brokenness and incompleteness of his people and that the servant's death would bring forgiveness, healing and restoration. So in your Bible, Isaiah 53 verse 4. Verse 4, surely he, this is the servant, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. And you can imagine the eunuch who himself had been crushed so he could serve the queen of Ethiopia. And he hears how Jesus was crushed for him and how Jesus was afflicted and suffered. And he did this so the eunuch could be brought to healing and wholeness, not by way of medical miracle, body parts growing back, but healing and wholeness by being welcomed into God's family. And I'm sure Philip would have taken him to Isaiah 53.10 and the promise that whilst the servant would be slaughtered like a sheep, he would also rise to life. Verse 10 says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And through the Lord, uh, and th- sorry, and though the Lord makes his life, the servant's life, Jesus' life, an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. In Jerusalem, the eunuch would not have been allowed to make an offering for sin. Gentiles and especially eunuchs were excluded from offering sacrifices for sin. The most they could do in worship was be a gift, a thanksgiving offering. But for the Ethiopian eunuch, there was no sacrifice for sin. He could never be forgiven by God. He could never be welcomed because he would always be unclean. But Philip has good news. Isaiah has good news. God has good news. Jesus has been the offering for him. 
And Jesus didn't stay dead, but he rose to life. So as the risen and reigning Lord, he sees his offspring, the people who trust in him, Jews, Samaritans and Ethiopians. And I reckon for this Ethiopian, as Philip is is rolling through the scroll, the, the lights are coming on. Instead of confusion and frustration that he he can't understand Isaiah, he's now hearing good news. And I think Philip wouldn't have stopped there in, in, in the scroll of Isaiah. But I wonder if even with nervous anticipation, I wonder if Philip rolled the scroll of Isaiah just a little bit further to what we call chapter 56, Isaiah 56.3. Please turn there now, Isaiah 56.3. And, and, and he read these words to that Ethiopian eunuch, Isaiah 56.3. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree, for this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Takes your breath away. He'd just been to Jerusalem and was excluded from God's people. But because of God's promise through Isaiah and because of Jesus' work on the cross, now he has a home, a place within the walls, within the family of God. And all his life he'd been a dry tree, demonized as a sexual minority. But God says, in Christ, you've got something better than sons and daughters. An eternal relationship with God in Christ and through the Spirit. This is what God has done for that Ethiopian eunuch. This is what God has done for you and me in Jesus. This is good news. But it just remains information until it's received. And so I wonder that as the light switches on, the, the eunuch is also wondering if this is too good to be true. Surely God wasn't talking to him. And maybe even pick this up a little bit from Philip. When Philip first got into the chariot, maybe Philip was just a, just a little bit uneasy. He could just read a bit of body language to take a seat next to a person who was different from him in so many ways. He looked different, had a different voice and mannerisms. But having heard the good news, and because the Holy Spirit is at work, the Ethiopian asks whether he can be fully welcomed into God's people. So we're back in Acts 8 now. You can turn in your Bible back to Acts 8. Acts 8, 36. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptised? Now, this is a bit random, I reckon. Where does he get this idea of baptism from? Well, I reckon 
Philip taught him about baptism. He may have said, Philip may have said something like Peter on the day of, of day of Pentecost as he was explaining the good news. He may have said something like, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will forget, receive the gift of the Holy Spirits. So he may have said those sorts of words. But you know what? He could have actually taught baptism from Isaiah. Uh, Philip might have taken the eunuch back to Isaiah 1 where God says, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. But he didn't have to go all the way back. That would have been physically difficult. Go all the way back to Isaiah 1. He, he could have just gone to the start of the song in Isaiah 53. Now, there's a bit of a debate over these words, but I wonder if he read, so he, God's servant Jesus, will sprinkle many nations. Maybe that's where Philip took him to, to talk about baptism. Because whatever caused him to think about baptism, he asks the question, can I be baptised? Can I be washed clean of my sins? Can I be welcomed into God's family? And Philip has no hesitation. Verse 38, and he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him ever again but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotos and travelled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. After the baptism, Philip leaves the eunuch, possibly, miraculously, maybe not. But after he leaves, Philip continues to do what he's been doing, telling people about Jesus wherever he goes. And the eunuch is also full of joy. He's rejoicing because he understands God's word. Jesus is the servant, the slain lamb who brings forgiveness. He's rejoicing because in Jesus, he's been welcomed fully into God's family, welcomed through repentance, faith and baptism. He's no longer an outsider, but welcomed in. Like Joe at the start, like the Ethiopian eunuch, maybe you feel like an outsider. Like you don't quite fit in like you're not welcome. The good news of Jesus is he died to open wide heaven's gates. The things that were a barrier are no longer. There is a welcome waiting for you if only you will call out to Jesus. Jesus died to take into himself the unworthiness, the the emptiness, the shame of his people. And he rose again so his people can be clothed in his wholeness and righteousness and welcomed into his family. If you felt like you're an outsider, Jesus says, no, come on in. Though, as to finish, I want to talk to Christians, to us as the church, to us as individual believers, because I think we need to face up to something. We need to face the fact that many people feel they are not welcome, that Christians are against them, that we hate them. I've told this story before, uh, but it's worth telling again. Uh, The Australian actress Anna McGahn is now a Christian, But as she tells her story, before she met Jesus, she didn't know any Christians, had no Christian friends. But she knew one thing about Christians. 
And that's that Christians hated her and people like her. That she was an outsider and not welcome because of her career, because of her sexual experiences and identity, because of her politics. Her belief, her assumption was that she was hated by Christians and outsider not welcome. And you can imagine the kind of things she'd seen in the media that would have reinforced that message. But one day... Uh, she made a friend. She made friends with someone and found out that this person was a Christian. And, and they didn't exclude her, but they became her friend, uh, despite the many differences about her. And eventually she started reading the Bible and she visited a church and she came to know God's welcome of her in Christ. Christian, who is the Ethiopian eunuch in your world? The person you know, but you have excluded. The kind of person you don't want anything to do with. And frankly, you hope God doesn't either. The good news of Jesus is the boundaries have been torn down, the gates are open wide, foreigners, eunuchs, all kinds of people who are different from you, God is welcoming them into his people. Are you as welcoming as God is? Let's pray. Father God, we are astounded that although we should be outsiders from you, in your great love you sent Jesus to be your sacrificial lamb. We praise you that Jesus was silent like a sheep before shearers, that he willingly laid down his life to heal and forgive his people. We do not deserve to be welcomed in. We are so thankful that in Jesus, your welcome is open wide. Please help us to be a welcoming church, to not exclude those whom you would welcome. May our hearts be as open as yours, that we might see people whom we would not naturally connect with, But through the gospel, may they become deeply loved brothers and sisters. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen.